Thank you, Zach. Good challenge and biblical reminder for each of us in the text of that song. During Missions Month, we've had the opportunity first to start in Ivory Coast in Africa, uh, then to go up to Alaska, and now uh, today we're headed back to Africa. Again, appreciate uh, Chris and Laura Sanderlin and their family being willing to be with us today. They are missionary appointees uh, to go to Cameroon uh, with Baptist World Mission. Uh, not too far from home, though. You guys lived here for a good while, and I appreciate their willingness to come back to this area and uh, to open God's word to us this morning and then to hear about the field God's called them to tonight. Uh, Chris, if you'd come and open God's word to us. Well, it is a blessing to be here this morning, and I do thank you, Pastor, for giving me the opportunity to preach. We have, uh, we'll just say just a basic introduction to our family, and tonight we'll say more about the ministry God's called us to and who we are, where we've been, but my wife, Laura, we've been married 14 years, and my four kids, Gabe, Ben, Jenna, and Lily, and uh, we are from Wisconsin, but uh, we have had the privilege, I did, growing up in a military home and having roots in different places, my wife had the privilege of growing up in this area, grew up in Bucks County, and without fail, whenever we come to Pennsylvania and are in a church in Pennsylvania, she's going to meet somebody uh, that, we, that she knows from her days when she went to school at Upper Bucks there. In fact, it seems like last time we were here, we, we couldn't even go into a Wawa without someone saying, Laura? And uh, I don't know what that's like, because we grew up all over the place. She grew up in one spot, and so it's fun for me, it's been fun for our kids uh, to come back here. I had the privilege of living here 2009 for part of that summer, and then uh, we moved here 2010 through 2014. This was our home. A couple of our kids were born in Downingtown, and I worked in the HVAC trade in the area. And uh, so we were encouraged just, just to be here. This morning was encouraging Sunday school as we looked at the reality of memorization. And I thought back to the days when I uh, was here. One of the ways that I worked on memorization, brother, was... Uh, a three by five card over my speedometer as I sat in, on 202, you know, uh, and uh, just meditated on that truth, how I should love my neighbor as myself, as opposed to uh, just wishing I could plow him off the road and get home, you know. But uh, enjoyed coming back to this area. It's been a, it's, it was a, God did a lot of things in our life here, and it's been a blessing just to, just to be in different churches around the country, but we always, we always love coming somewhere where we're somewhat familiar and just seeing what God is doing. You know, when I, we lived here, we prayed for Chester County. We prayed for Chester Springs, for Downingtown. And I have coworkers I still pray for that are probably some of them your neighbors, and you may not even know it. Uh, men that I asked that God would save and didn't know exactly what to do, but I still pray for them. I could give you names and, and even tell you where some of them live. So it's, a, it's encouraging to us to come into a church and see God's people faithful in the work of the ministry, faithful to preach and teach God's word, and certainly look forward to telling you about what God is doing in Cameroon and what we want to do, but also we count it a privilege on deputation to see what God is doing and to be able to continue to pray for the different churches in America, because while we're going to Africa as missionaries, we're still very burdened for our country and uh, very much aware that the most important place in America is the local church. And it, what God is doing in this body is really what counts. In the eyes of heaven, it's not in Washington. It is what is happening, what happens amongst the believers of this church here that is really, I think, God's priority and in God's heart and mind. So we count it a privilege to get to see what God is doing and to get to meet so many other different places and uh, different folks in different churches. This morning, you can turn to Mark chapter 4. 
as a missionary, uh, you hear, and I grew up in, in good churches, and you always hear this phrase that missionaries can't preach. At least I heard that in Bible college. And uh, so I wear that on my shoulders. I did not grow up in a pastor's home, and uh, I, I have learned to be comfortable with what the Word of God says, and I do my best, and I, and I, uh, I know for me, oftentimes when God works in my heart at preaching, it, it wasn't that the pastor was perfect in his delivery anyway. It was that the God takes the Word of God and works in my heart, and I'm thankful for it. But uh, this morning, uh, you know, normally missionaries preach the same message over and over again, and I have done that. And I live in an RV with five other people who have been praying that God would help me make new messages. <laughs> and I don't really like that. I'm told, look, look I'm, not just, I, I'm, not just, uh, I don't, I'm not just a factory that produces messages. It's not what the, that's not what preaching is about. I don't just get to pick. I have to ask the Lord, what am I supposed to do? With, with your word and how do I, you know, I'm not pastoring right now. I'm not, I'm not responsible to repair it. I don't have that time. I'm driving and I try to explain to them, if you want me to preach new messages, you have to let me go to bed at night and you're going to have to leave me alone in the morning because I live within five feet of you constantly. So it hasn't really happened. This morning, though, I'm going to attempt to preach a new message. I say that to make you, not to make you nervous, but uh, because while I enjoy meeting you all, I have to live with them. So I am very thankful that God is, and even, even for myself, I, I love getting into the Word of God and, and teaching and preaching, and we'll, we're going to look at this passage this morning, this morning on the priority of the gospel out of Mark chapter 4. You may say, how are you, how are you getting that? Where are you going with that? Well, 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 we'll get there. This is the parable often most familiarly known as the parable of the sower, and Jesus taught by parables, and he used that to get people to think about what he was saying and to be and to understand what he was trying to teach. And this is a familiar parable. Maybe you, like me, learned this first from Betty Lucan's flannel graph. I'm not sure, but I, I would hope this morning that most of you are familiar with that. Uh, but we're going to read it, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump into this, into this passage this morning. Mark chapter 4, verse number 1 says, And he began to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship, and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on the stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was sourced, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some an hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And here we see this parable of the good ground that brings forth much fruit or the other three types of ground. And we, we begin to ask ourselves, what is this talking about? That's what a parable does, is it makes you say, what is this talking about? Jesus here then explains this to them. But I would say, as, as we get into this, uh, this idea of the ground. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, 23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And in this parable, we see 
different types of ground brought up. We see different problems facing the farmer here, facing the seed, and then at the end we see the good ground that produces fruit. And I want to look at those uh, three different aspects of four, really four, the three different uh, problems and then the, the desired goal, which is good ground and fruit from that ground, and really look at the priority of a fruitful gospel as really the point. You know, uh, the Bible says in John 15, 8, herein is my Father glorified, that she bear much fruit. And I believe with all my heart that it is the chief duty of man to bring glory to God. But I also know as a hobby farmer that a lousy-looking farm with no fruit doesn't bring glory to God. But a good-looking farm, a good-looking piece of ground that's fruitful brings a lot of glory to that farmer. And I believe the Christian life, uh, that the chief end of it, and even in missions, is yes, to go and give the gospel and to plant churches and to see different tasks accomplished, but the way it happens is, is really a big deal. How it looks is a big deal. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into this a little more. Father, we do just commit this to you. We pray that you'd give us ears to hear. Give us understanding of your word, and I pray that you'd take it and work in our hearts. Thank you that you do know how to take the word of God and open it up to our understanding. Lord, I don't have that ability, but you do, and Lord, we pray that you'd bless the preaching of your word this morning. Use it in our lives, Lord, to free us up from some of the cares and the distractions and the battles that we face, that your word may produce the fruit that you intend it to in our lives. Lord, that you be glorified, that souls be saved, that your cause go forward in these days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, in this area, it's, this area is very well known for its geography. When I moved out here, I got to know a lot of things. I got to know by heart the little slogan, News Radio 1060, right? There's, there's certain things that this area is known for. Uh, as I lived and worked here, I'm a history that's an enthusiast. If you want to know two things about me that I'm interested in, it'd be history, it'd be gardening. And this area has a lot of that. A, good, a man in our church was known for being the Dahlia King, and I'd go to his house in Malvern, and he had the most beautiful dahlias you've ever seen, the, the most variety, and he put a lot into it. He poured a lot into it. He's still doing that. Uh, he's, he's getting up there. I told him last time I saw him here a month or two ago, I said, Jim, you're getting old. He's 91. Or he told me, he said, Chris, I'm getting old. I said, Jim, you were old when I met you. <laughs> you know, but he, he, was, he was a guru when it came to dahlias. When I got here, I asked my wife, so let's go to Valley Forge, and I'm sure you know all about that, and she said, I don't know if I've ever been there, and then she said, maybe I have, actually, I have been there on a field trip, and I said, what do you mean? How do you live in East Pennsylvania, and you've never been to Valley Forge? She had her priorities on other things, and uh, so we went, and I began to study, and began to realize the topography of this area, and the reason why George Washington in 1777 camped with his army after they'd been pushed out of Philadelphia in Valley Forge. And the reason was because it's at the head of this great valley, not just because they needed a forge. The real reason is because it was to protect the good ground that was further to the west down that valley. And when we first moved out here, I, was, I struggled with the fact that I couldn't see the horizon because there were hills and trees everywhere, right? I, I came, we lived, my mom is from Illinois. I come from Swedish immigrant farmers out in the plains of Illinois. And where I grew up after dad got out of the military, there was uh, where the Rock River dumps in the Mississippi, one of the most fertile valleys in the world where you can grow corn that is 16 feet tall, genetically modified corn maybe, but it's 16 feet tall. It's rich soil. So when I came here and I couldn't see the horizon, I, didn't, I felt trapped, right? I didn't know where I was. It was 
I learned to love it, but it took some adjusting. When we first lived here, though, we, we settled in Lancaster County the first year until we got our bearings and we commuted into town. And I began to realize the, the historical and the, just the reason for George Washington's decision to camp at Valley Forge was to protect that good ground, what was known as the breadbasket of the colonies. And if the British had taken that ground, it would have effectively ended the war because the ability to supply and sustain the Continental Army would have been greatly hindered if that good ground of Lancaster County had been captured by them. That was what was producing the food and the fruit that drove the army and that drove the colonies. That good ground. Good ground is important if you're a farmer. And do you know something? Good ground is not automatic if you're a farmer. I remember bringing home a book once, and the title of it was Dirt. And I remember my wife saying, really, you know, what is this? And I was like, well, you know, it's interesting to me. But one of the topics that is discussed is if you dig in that dirt, you'll find that dirt is what you make of it. It has a story to tell. Dirt can be modified. Dirt is made up of different components. Different plants like different components. And you need to know what the dirt is like if you're going to successfully bring forth a crop. So the goodness of the ground is a big deal. In this parable, Jesus is speaking to people who understood this. I don't know how many of you here fed yourself because of the sweat of your brow by your farm this last year. How many of you did that? How many of you survived because you had a farm? Now, I, I'm aware of that. I knew that I'd be preaching not to a farming community this morning. Uh, but at the same time, we still all understand that. Most of us have planted something or grown something, even if we no longer are tied. Cameroon is, by and large, an agricultural society. There is a lot of business there, but a lot of people are still tied to their agriculture somehow. They're in their family or in, their, in, their, in some part of their life, they're tied to it. In this parable, Jesus begins by explaining the parable of, he explains it to his disciples. Verse number 11, or we'll say, look at verse number 10. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. Verse 13, And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how will ye know all parables? So he's asking them, how, Do you understand this parable? The Bible says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And I may make some applications from this, and you may say, where is he getting that? Just look at this parable, and let's try and understand what I believe some of the main applications of this parable is. God gave this to us. Yes, it's a parable. We need to think about it, but we need to let the word of God say what it says. And, and let that be what we take in our hearts here. He begins explaining it to him. The sower soweth the word. In the Christian life, the word of God is primary. We see here the sower soweth the word. You could take that to be the, some people would say that's the believer preaching the gospel. Other people would say that's God sowing the word of God into our lives. And what are we going to do with it? And I, I would agree with that. The spirit of God takes the word of God. That's the Bible calls the Word of God the sword of the Spirit. He takes it, and he works in people's heart with it. What are the different responses here, though? Look at the three different kinds of, of, uh, of, of problems, of issues here in this ground. Verse number 15. And those that are by the wayside, where the Word is sown, 
But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. So in our endeavors to get the gospel out, to teach and preach and ground people in the word of God, there are problems, there are difficulties, there are struggles in this endeavor to have good ground. Let's back up and just say that the priority of the gospel, the Great Commission says, all power is given unto me, Jesus, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even at the end of the world. That, that great commission that we are to go, we are to teach all nations, and we are to ground them in everything that Jesus has said, including that great commission. So the idea being that we are all part of this process. It wasn't just those original 12 that were given this great commission. It's all of us. He said to teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you, which includes the Great Commission. I have to quote the Great Commission. If, you're, if you don't quote the Great Commission, I've learned as a missionary, you get in trouble. You're required to preach on the Great Commission if you are a missionary, right? And it, it, is, it is the passion, I believe. It is the outflow. Why Jesus came? He came to save sinners. He came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And he told us to go and to teach and preach. As we're doing that, though, it is a battle. There are problems. There are difficulties. I want you to even think just of your life as that ground and think of some of the difficulties that there can be when the Word of God comes into your life. You understand it. You hear it. It begins to have fruit. It begins to take root. It begins to open up. What are some of the difficulties that can happen in the believer's life, in a person's life, when the Word of God is being ministered? What are some of those challenges and how can we deal with it? The first one here is Satan. It says, and Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. Do we understand that we are in a spiritual battle? You know, in America, it can be easy to refer to Satan as this guy in red that people dress up like at Halloween, and that's about it. But do you know the reality is, is that we are in a spiritual battle? The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, the Bible says in Ephesians 6. James chapter 4, we're told to submit ourselves to God and to resist the devil. He is not an imaginary, fictitious character that we know nothing about and that we're not really concerned about. He's not someone of a past dispensation that really has nothing to do with our daily lives. In America, he's everything to do with our daily lives. I think the worse and worse our country gets, the more apparent it is that there is a prince of this world that hates people, hates God, and who's goal is to be a murderer and a liar. And there is this struggle against one called Satan. And yet the Bible says, resist the devil in James 4 and he will flee from you. First Peter chapter 5, it says, Peter tells them, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that these same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. My point simply being this morning, if you look through Jesus' ministry, he was constantly dealing with people who were afflicted or disturbed by or destroyed by the devil. And the point being this morning, number one, to be aware that he is there, but number two, to recognize that Jesus knows what to do with this man. He knows what to do with Satan, rather. But are we aware of it? It says, Satan cometh immediately and taketh the word that was sown in their hearts. This morning, you're sitting here, you're hearing the word of God preached. What has the devil done in your life that you're allowing him to do? Do you know, when Jesus dealt with the devil, he was not begging him or playing tug of war with him, but rather using authority and dealing with him. 
you know that there is not an issue that may be attributed to the devil influencing or disturbing or destroying that Satan, that Jesus does not have authority to deal with? Over and over and over and over again in the New Testament, we see Jesus commanding the unclean spirit out. And we see over and over and over again that authority exercised. And so while the devil is real, and in Cameroon, he's real. And you have to deal with people who know he's real and who do all they can to use his power to stop you. The believer has to, if he's going to protect that good ground and develop that good ground, he's got to recognize there is an enemy, but Jesus Christ is the solution to that. And he has all authority. He has all power. We are not victims this morning to what the devil is trying to do in our lives and in our country. But rather, Jesus said, all power is given unto me, go ye. We are emissaries, ambassadors of a great king who has authority over all powers and principalities. And there may be battles that we do not understand. And that's a lot of them. That's most of them. But there isn't a battle that Jesus doesn't understand and that he doesn't know how to deal with. There is no reason for your good ground to be ruined, to be hindered by the devil, if you are a child of God here this morning. Jesus has all power and all authority. There is no excuse for the devil made me do it in a believer's life. It's a, it's a big deal, though. I mean, I'm, not, I'm, not ma- I'm not making light of that spiritual battle that we often deal with. It's often very confusing. He's a good liar, and we often don't know what in the world is going on when we're in the middle of that. But we need to be aware of it, and we need to recognize that Jesus has all authority to situation. He told us in James 4, submit yourself therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's a promise. Secondly here in verse number 16, and these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves and so endure for a time afterward When affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. So here the second one, this idea of stones. When you're looking at the good ground of your heart, how many of you have ever dug into the ground and found something that wasn't supposed to be there in your mind? If you're from Pennsylvania, you know all about that. Uh, In Illinois, you can't find a rock if you wanted one. My dad liked to collect rocks. We were military, and he would... Different places, we had a rock garden in the front of our, in the front of our house. In Pennsylvania, uh, people probably would laugh at that. Illinois, you collect rocks from different places. Pennsylvania, you can't get rid of them in some places. And uh, out east and more and more different places, that's an issue. But this idea of stones, what is the Bible saying here? So look, just think of this picture here. They are sown in stony ground, and they have no root. So I would say you could look at stones as, as priorities. So when you're trying to grow a crop... You're wanting to plant it in dirt, and you want that dirt to be the right kind of dirt, and you don't want things in there that are going to hinder that crop. So what you do when you break up that ground in the spring and you find rocks, you get them out of there. Now, stones, I would say, are just misplaced priorities, things that are, you could say, are not supposed to be where they are, but that if they're in the right spot can be a good thing. How many of you have ever driven by a Pennsylvania farm and seen a rock wall? How do you think those got there? Because every spring by frost and thaw, you have stones that are brought to the earth. The farmer gets them out and he uses them to make walls. All through the, Old, the New Testament and Old Testament, you hear this idea of walls around the farm. And I think when you have stones where they're supposed to be, which is not in the ground, not in the, not in the place where the crops are supposed to be, they can be a good thing. But when they're in the wrong place, they hinder and choke out 
that plant from growing and developing as it's supposed to be. I think that's part of the work of maintaining good ground in the believer's life, is putting priorities where they belong and not where they don't belong. Not seeing responsibilities and difficulties as, I don't want it in my life, but rather putting it where it's supposed to be and neither being a victim to it and saying, well, I don't have time. I can't do this. I can't. I've heard the phrase, and I believe it. I've never, I don't think I like it, but there's always time to do the will of God. And different people that would say, I don't have time, I think they're dealing with stones. I think they're dealing with hitting something that is, is disturbing the situation, and you can say, I'm not going to mess with that, and just leave it there. And if you're a farmer, if you've ever grown anything, you try and grow a crop that needs space to grow, but where there's something obstructing it, and instead of five-foot sweet corn, you're going to get two-foot sweet corn that doesn't even bring forth fruit. It might look like a garden, but it's not really going to bring forth a fruit. In this passage here, it says the sun comes and sorches it because it has no roots. It dries up. When you don't have the time to develop the roots and the depth that you need because of misplaced priorities, you do not survive the basic obstacles of producing fruit. The Bible says here that that plant that didn't have the root, didn't have the depth, when the sun came out, it was withered, it was sorched because it had no root. And I would say to you that if you have no strength, no ability to survive trials, no time, no ability to work with a lost person who is not saved, who knows nothing about the Bible, and you can't deal with that, maybe there's a misplaced priority there. Because a fruitful plant has room to stretch, room to put those roots down to then grow and bring forth fruit and reproduce itself. But when there's things in the way that should not be in the way, as this passage says, it's hindered. I would say stones are priorities that are in the wrong spot. That when you put them in the right spot, they can even be a protection and a, and a help to that process of bringing forth fruit. Thirdly here, you see this next verse, number 18, and, they are wit, and these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, is, is the next phrase here, but this third section here. So you have Satan, you have stones, and because I took homiletics and it's required, we're going to call this third point stuff, okay? Just the stuff that you have to deal with. That's the best I could do. I'm not a, I wasn't an English major. My wife maybe will help me, and the next time I preach this, it'll be a proper word here. But stuff, these are all the different issues, I would say, that can creep in here, and we're going to break them down here. That first one, verse 19, and the cares of this world. So he begins this parable. It says, in, in the parable itself, they're referred to as thorns, and these are they which are sown among thorns. Thorns in the garden. My kids have been required many times to help me in my garden. And uh, I will just say, because I'm a good dad, when they are dealing with thistles, uh, unless I've taught them how, I tell them, just ignore those. I'll deal with those. I'll take care of those. Uh, but sometimes it's hard to know. When you're growing a crop and, and everything's small and little, it takes a little bit of experience to know, okay, that's a thorn. I want to get rid of that before it, it begins to be a problem. But these, they're, they're just there. And, and any, anyone that's ever broken ground and put stuff in the ground, when you make that ground receptive to your seed, every other seed that's in that ground is going to sprout out. And the birds like to plant every other kind of seed there is. I heard an old, I don't even remember where I've heard this. I've heard enough sayings, I remember them. A weed is anything that is growing where you didn't plant. 
Another, a weed is any plant that is growing somewhere that, where you didn't plant it. So in my garden, I like to do a lot of heirloom gardening. So most of my fruits, my crops, will produce their own seeds that are capable of bringing after their like kind. They're not a genetically modified type. So it, when you take those seeds, you can dry them, you can plant them the next year, and you're going to get the same kind of plant you planted that year with a little bit of variety to it maybe. So I have to deal with things sprouting up all over the place sometimes that are a plant, but they're not where they're supposed to be. They're in the, in the way of something else. This idea of thorns, though, there's a variety here of things that come up and choke out the good word here. And it says, the cares of this world. How many of us know what it's like to have to deal with the cares of this world? If you're a responsible adult here, you know what that's all about. All those responsibilities. How am I going to feed my family? How am I going to pay this bill? How am I going to get this project done at work that I've been asked to do and I have no idea how to do it? How am I going to, and, and you have these responsibilities and these cares. But where is their place in your life? Is that what dominates you? Or are those cares in the right spot? Is the good word of God having priority or are the cares of this world choking out the word of God? Have you ever been in that time where you're going through a trial? I can think of different times that we have in our life. Uh, 2018, my dad was diagnosed with cancer and died two months later of a sepsis infection. We had no time to prepare, no time to say goodbye, didn't get to say goodbye, no, no time to deal with those things. 67 years old. Uh, a couple months later, my grandmother died of an aneurysm, and then we were in the middle praying and caring for my grandfather with ALS, which, if you know, is a very debilitating long-term disease, and, and we were keeping him in his home. There was a lot of cares of this world, let me tell you. And there were times where you open up the Word of God and you read it and it absolutely did nothing for you and you read it and you don't even remember what you wrote, what you just read. Because the cares of this world can dominate your thinking. It is a challenge when you are a farmer to bring forth a crop. And it is a battle and it is a labor. And there are times where you just have to do what you're supposed to do whether you feel like it or not. And we have to be careful as believers not to let legitimate cares crowd out the word of God. You know, if, if you're so tired and, and, and worn down because of genuine cares, maybe go to a brother or sister in Christ say, can you pray with me? I'm really wrestling with this. I just can't get through this. Maybe make sure rather than those cares keeping you out of church, you're in church more. There were days I remember coming into church. I did not want to be there. I, didn't want, I did not want to go. It was a busy Wednesday I had just got done dealing with an Henri customer in Westchester somewhere probably, and it was Wednesday night, and I was supposed to be at church, and I was actually supposed to do the kids' club that night, and I didn't want to be there. But by being there in God's house and prioritizing what God was doing in my life, you know, it actually met the need. And I'm just saying this morning that the cares of this life need to be in the right place, and they need to not be that which choke out the word of God in your life, and they can if we let them. Secondly, it says the deceitfulness of riches. Lies. You know it's a lie from the devil that says that if you work and secure your retirement, then everything else will fall into place? Do you know that that is not the priority of the believer? Priority of the believer is not to make sure he has enough money in the bank. And I know living in Chester County, when I was here, I was a blue-collar worker raising a family on one income. Do you know my priorities were not make sure I had my retirement in place and then I'm going to give God whatever I have left. 
We have got to prioritize and deal with things like deceitfulness of riches. For us to say that we have to have everything in order in our life financially and then we give to God is to say that everybody in this world, including Cameroon, who does not have money has no chance. You cannot put riches before God. You can't do it. And it's easy for us in this culture. It is easy for us as men in that pressure. That's what we're motivated. That's, that's just our world. That's America. And I understand that. And it's not always easy. But let me tell you, it is, uh, it is a battle that God knows how to win. It's a blessing. To, it's, an, it's an amazing thing to take and watch God bless what little we have and, and stretch it to do way more than we could when we, when we allow riches to have their place. Don't be deceived by riches. We're dealing with a culture in America that says, as long as I have money, everything's fine. And that's why uh, some of the wickedness in high places thrives, because they have money in the bank, and they think because they have money in the bank, they can live as someone of the opposite gender and everything's just fine. Because I have money in the bank, I can do this sin and this sin, and they think they're fine. The Bible says that uh, in Psalm 73, they're going to wake up, and it's going to be like a dream when it's all over, and God's going to despise their image. They're going to wake up and find out that those riches and that lifestyle they were living because of their riches was a lie, and it was a, it was it was a deception that they lived in, and paid the and pay the consequences for. We've got to be careful as believers if we're going to protect the good ground of fruitful Christian living. We have got to make sure that riches have their place and that we're not deceived by it. A lie is an easy thing to be deceived by, except for when you when you recognize it's a lie. When you recognize it's a deception, it loses its, its power there. I would just ask that question, what has the priority in your life? Riches or your, your heart being what it ought to be for the word of God to flourish and take root. The deceitfulness of riches, thirdly here, it says lusts. And the lust of other things entering in choke the word. You know, uh, there are so many things that we can set our desires upon. We can put our desires upon, you name it whether it be a food item, whether it be a pursuit of knowledge, whether it be a skill set, whether it be a hobby, we know how to put our desires and affections on things, don't we? We know how to do it. Uh, we've enjoyed, as, as we've been on deputation, finding very interesting places to visit, whether it be historical or uh, a certain particular place. I was just in Colorado. We flew out of Colorado on Tuesday. I was born out there, so it was a joy for me to get to go back there. We were up uh, and took a couple hours, which is probably offensive to do it that way, but we took two hours and went to Rocky Mountain National Park. If you ever go there, please plan that a little more than two hours. You're not doing it justice. But we drove through Estes Park and saw a sign that said, you need pie. And I agreed with that sign, and we went in, and it was about the best pie you've ever had, unless it was one that you made. And we, we know how to put our desires on things. For me, any kind of pie, I like it. I enjoy it. I enjoy making them. I enjoy eating them. We know how to do that, though. It says the lusts of other things. It doesn't necessarily mean bad things. Do you know the word lust is not necessarily a bad word? It depends on its object. What is the object of that desire? And I would say this morning, when we as believers who are God's garden, and we allow our affections to go down other areas that are not prioritized around God's word and around fruitfulness, we can, without even realizing it, choke out that good seed. As a, as a gardener, I mentioned the different heirloom seeds. They'll volunteer, and some of them aren't always fruitful because they're heirloom. They don't always produce fruit. I've been deceived more than once 
where I saw a plant, I knew what it was, and I knew it was from last year, and I let it grow, and it was a beautiful plant, and it had no fruit. And it choked out something that I knew was going to have fruit because I let it grow. I let it there, and I thought it was a good thing, but I was fooled, and I lost the fruit from the good plant because I let the wrong thing thrive in its place. Folks, this morning we're talking about the good ground of your heart. Where are your priorities? What are you allowing to thrive in your heart? And what is the purpose? What is the result? What, what are we really going for? It's not just be careful of these things. Verse number 20 says, And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some an hundred. If God is glorified by fruit, and if we're commanded to go and preach the gospel and impart the word of God and disciple and nurture others in the word of God, what are we supposed to be doing? What is this talking about here? Do you know that for the life of the missionary, we're going and we're doing everything that you have to do here. We have to figure out how to survive. Where do we buy our food? Where do we go to the doctor if we get sick or bit by a snake? Where do we go for this, this. We have to figure all that out in a new place. How many of you have ever moved before in your life? Yeah, I think some of you probably have. We were military. How many of you have ever had to move your whole family overseas? So missionary work, we all are familiar with it, but it's, it's really not that different from everybody else's life. We're just understanding this is the priority. We have to get there. We have to figure out how to basically operate and we have to work with people who are dealing with the same challenges we are, and we have to help them hear the gospel, hear the word of God, organize their life around it so that God's word, God's spirit can change them to be more like Christ and they can produce fruit in other people's lives. It's, it's not a, a strange thing that a missionary is doing. It's exactly what's supposed to be happening here in a different place. Our ground that we're going to be working with is not, Afri is not just Africa. It's people who are dealing with all sorts of challenges and issues and needs. And we have to learn to navigate and work through and figure out what the difficulties are in that particular ground and help them. This morning, as a believer, are you good ground? Is your life, your garden, good ground? Are you, as the illustration at the beginning, that good ground at the end of the valley that's producing for yourself and for all kinds of others, because that's what the believer is, is, is encouraged to be like in this passage. He says, some bring forth 30, some 60, and some 100. And there are differences. Not all of us are, are, are equal size pots, so to speak. I also grow plants in pots. And if you have a pot this big, you can have a plant that big. But you can't have a, a plant this big in a pot that big. You've got to have a bigger pot. I think there are different vessels. God gifts different people differently. We have different life experiences. And there are different levels of acceptable fruit I see here. I, and as a farmer, as a, as a gardener, 20, 60, 100, I'm happy if I get fruit, as long as I get some good fruit from that plant. Uh, I'm really thrilled when there's more, but sometimes even I don't always know what to do with it. I don't think that's the Lord. I'm just saying here there are different levels of fruit bearing in this passage. But I would just ask this question to you this morning. What is your ground like? If you are a believer, what is your ground like? Have you allowed the devil to get in there and wreck your farm, destroy your, your life? The Lord Jesus knows how to deal with that. Have you misplaced your priorities? Does God's work in your life fade away in adversity because you're busy doing other things and you don't have any depth? You get discouraged or quit or don't obey because you've not provided depth for your growth? 
because you've allowed priorities to really crowd that out. The cares of this life, are those hindering what God is doing in your life? And as, as believers, I'm so thankful that we have a choice in some of this. I heard, uh, was talking is, with Brother Terry and different emails as we prepared to come here that you've all focused on 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. That idea of sanctifying the Lord in your heart and being ready always to give an answer of the hope that lies within you with meekness and fear. The, the context of that, the, the challenges and the suffering that God's people go through for doing right. That idea of sanctify, to set apart, to prioritize God. So that when you face those challenges, when, when people pass by your garden and there was a major storm that went through, they want to know, why are you so fruitful? Why does yours look so much better than mine? How did yours handle this? Well, it's because I've prioritized it. It's because I've kept my walk with the Lord close. I've let him meet my needs. And, and when we go through those trials and those, those difficulties, we have a reason to answer why there's hope in our life. Because I've walked with God. When I go through that trial and I don't understand what's going on, I can say I know him. And I know he's going to carry me through even if I don't understand all this. And I have hope. Not a maybe so, but a I know so that God is going to carry me through. And this morning, how, how is your ground? Where are your priorities? Is, is the word of God and the, the gospel ministry of teaching and preaching and bringing forth fruit in others, is that your priority? Is, is the word of God able to go in your heart, take root, be the priority, grow, stretch out, produce fruit, and bring glory to the farmer? Or is it that which is so easily the case in our modern America? It's there. There's some fruit, and, and you could tell someone was trying, but it was kind of just a hobby. You know, when you go out to Lancaster County, you see properties where it is their life. It is their priority. And then when you drive into the city, you see people who are hobbyists. I have a good friend who uh, trusted Christ while we were at, at Victory over in Chester Springs. We prayed for him for a number of years. He lives over in Paoli, and we used to get over there for, for a meal, and he would take me out back and say, here is experimental garden number 11. He was surrounded by trees, and he was every year trying to figure out a way to improve his little garden, and, and there were, you know, initially there, it was a pretty sad-looking little garden, but it was a garden, and he was getting started, and he would, he would call each year, it was a, the, whatever year garden it was, that it was experimental garden number 11, number 19. Lord willing, hoping to see him this week, and I'm going to find out if he's kept that up. I know what that's like. My, my question this morning, is your garden a hobby or is it your priority? Is it your life? If I looked at your life, if, you're, if your brothers or sisters in church, your family, when they look at your walk with the Lord, what do they see? Do they see a Lancaster County farm or do they see an experimental garden number 11 and you're just dabbling at it? It's an important question to ask as we look at this this morning. And I, I close with this mindset. When we go to the mission field, we ask for support. We ask for prayer. And do you know the folks that typically tend to pray for missionaries the most are the ones that are doing the same thing in their own church. They understand the battle. They understand the priorities. And they understand the difficulties of wrestling for a good fruit in a, in a sin-cursed earth. And they understand this is how I can pray for my missionaries. So I would just say this morning as we look at this, 
we're in the same boat. We'll, we'll be praying for you. We're, pray for us that the word of God would have free course in our life, that it would bring forth fruit, that it, we would be changed by it, and that we would then have the wisdom as we do that to help others do the same because that is missions. It is yourself abiding in Christ and bringing forth fruit and teaching others to do the same. And my question this morning, what kind of ground do you have? Is the gospel and a fruitful Christian life your priority? What does your garden look like? Have you allowed some of these things to hinder what God is doing in your life? Or are you allowing the Lord Jesus Christ to have his way to be that master gardener? I'm so thankful the Lord Jesus knows what he's doing when it comes to nurturing and growing us, aren't you? I'm thankful the Bible said, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I am thankful that he is the head of the church. I am thankful that while I am weak and I'm a pretty lousy farmer spiritually, when I abide in Jesus Christ, he knows exactly what to do. And I'm thankful he knows how to take any life and nurture them, form them, shape them into a fruit-bearing, fruitful person. And I'm so thankful that, that we can trust him this morning. We can look at this. We can look at this parable. We can be stirred. But we can know, wow, God knows what he's doing. He, he knows what to do in my life. And this morning, I would just ask you, are you letting the Lord Jesus Christ have his way in your life? What kind of ground is he working with when he's working with you in your life? We'll close with that. Pastor, I'll let you close us here. Thank you so much for your time this morning.